It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Greetings and welcome back to the program. It's good to have you with us. A little bit later, we'll visit with a journalism professor from Ball State University, uh, pinning a book with his students focused on our favorite topic here on Forward Progress, uh, sports and equality, social justice. Uh, We look forward to that. We'll update you on everything Kyrie as the commissioner and Mr. Irving had a conversation this week. But we'll start off with uh, the midterm elections that, as we tape this, uh, wrapped up yesterday, sort of. I mean, we're still waiting on some, some things coming through. And I don't necessarily want to get buried into who won, who didn't. Was it a wave? Was it a was it a, a lapping at the shore by the right? right. Um, I think more of a shift here is what I enjoyed watching, particularly from the NBA on Election Tuesday. Right. Shut it down, mm-hmm. right? Shutting down the league, taking Monday as the first ever NBA Civil Engagement Day, having all 30 teams play using that massive girth of professional basketball to hammer home the message. Listen, if you didn't mail in, if you didn't early vote in person, tomorrow's the day. Right. Let's go. Let's get out there. And in some parts of the country, fantastic. I'm going to be honest. I'm extremely disappointed in the great state of Florida and particularly mm-hmm. Miami-Dade County. And again, not talking results. Right. I'm talking about less than Turn 50% out. participation. Right. I don't want to hear it. I'm, I'm old school with that one. Mm-hmm. Keep your mouth closed. You don't want to participate? Keep your mouth closed. Yeah, don't shut, say Shut nothing. it down. <laughs> the adults will do the talking around yeah. here. What blows my mind, and we'll get into what the NFL and other stuff did, but, but I, I get, want to get your thoughts on it. What blows my mind is you took the time to register to vote. Correct. And you just go, nah. <laughs> nah, I'm cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're watching. The... There's going to be a runoff again in Georgia <laughs> for the balance of power in the Senate. Every vote counts. That is not a catchphrase. It's not a bumper sticker. We live it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, that, that's one that caught me uh, having that runoff in Georgia. It's mm-hmm. going to be, I mean, I, I never thought that we would even have to get to that point. And now I'm saying like, whoa, this actually is real. Um, I think you mentioned the NBA did a great job of having all of their teams play on Monday and then having Tuesday off and the initiative and the thoughts of, hey, this is why we're taking Tuesday off so everyone can go out and go vote. Um, I think also, too, I've had a chance to talk to a couple coaches this week for my, my uh, uh, football game that I'll be broadcasting, and they talked about it as well. We're not doing anything Tuesday to allow our players to go out and vote, and this has been an initiative within the administration not just the football program, you know, co- coaches want to go out there and win games, but they realize that, look, these are young men and these are, you know, you know, men and women who need that opportunity to go out and exercise their vote, exercise their right. And so I thought that was pretty cool as well. And just to see some of the voter turnouts in the different places um, around the country, 
Um, you know, I, just, <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a big thing because I wasn't, I'm not from that area, but seeing Dr. Oz, <laughs> uh, no, no Dr. Oz, right? He, he, he lost out, but it was, you know, for me, just watching how people turned out and looking yeah. at the, um, uh, the, uh, governor of Maryland, right. Um, now first black, uh, uh, governor. First, black first black governor of Maryland. So you're, you're seeing some of the progress around. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, Jax, and I don't, don't quote me on this, but I believe that, uh, state of Tennessee, uh, state of Oregon. Um, there's one more state that I saw, um, have, uh, officially that slavery is no longer, you cannot have slavery is not a part of right. that state anymore. And to think that there was, you know, overwhelmingly it was approved. Uh, I think it was, uh, the numbers that I saw a million and a half votes and yet 316 people were for it. 316,000 people, Jax, voted man. to keep slavery the, the stuff in their that state, man. I'm just like... Bubbling for, it, it, it baffles me. I, and, you know, it, some people explain on, it away as what happens when, you know, it is technically unpaid labor, therefore slave Correct. labor for slave prisons, labor. which is allowed in most uh, municipalities and federally protected. But... We, why are we going to nuance these words? Like, what, what are we talking about? We're not going to, we're not going to dance around this. What I actually meant was, no, right. it's all slavery <laughs> and you bubbled it. You put yeah. the wrong bubble in. I'm like, come on, man. Like that, it just, that just can't be. Like we're at a time that, um, that 316,000 people. Yeah. this is the state of Oregon. Yeah. I'm looking at it now <laughs> to abolish, like you mentioned, the, slave worker ships and all that stuff. But I think that you always learn something when it comes to the elections. Um, I, for one, am happy that my phone will no longer be receiving these texts <laughs> from. <laughs> I just want to make sure, Kirk, that you, were, that you voted. That you I'm like, where you get my number from? Where you get my oh, email from? They just I want, mean, they want to make sure. They want to make sure. I'm, I'm glad everybody ads. out there. I'm doing the that. ads. So yeah. That, that's my favorite. Thing. I get it. I have to see. <laughs> ridiculous things but um the nfl also a part of they have their uh votes initiative nfl votes initiative uh the league believes that they were able to reach 160 million people uh ahead of the elections all 30 nfl stadiums were available uh for election related activities but here's the thing some local election officials don't want it mm. they, they're like whoa hey, that's a lot of people yeah, coming out it's a lot of people like, coming in to have that uh, but I'm glad the Panthers, uh, Bank of America Stadium, the Broncos uh, in Power Field at Mile High uh, were used as early voting sites. And uh, and I believe, if not mistaken, Levi Stadium in mm -hmm. Santa Clara Santa was Santa early Clara. and yeah. election day, right? Yeah. I mean, think about all that space, all ample parking, convenience, places kind of cool to go to. Right. And, and can you imagine that there are literally some counties and states that are like, yeah, that, that, that's too easy. Yeah. that's too easy for that's too many people can come out right we want to limit numbers right that that's, feels that's, like that right yeah absolutely because you know not everybody's going to come out remember you just talked about it dade county i mean how many people want to come out and to american airlines or go to davy and over by the uh you know joe robbie 
or Sun Trust. Look at that. Hard Rock. Hard Rock. Oh, it's Hard Rock. I love you going way back, though. (laughs) I'm with Joe Robbie, Sun Trust. Oh, yeah, it's Hard Rock Stadium now. Way to tip the cap on that one. (laughs) But you have a, a lot of these venues that some people will never even go, but I think it is cool to have sort of a prize, too. Right. You know, you you get your sticker. Yeah, I voted. But to be able to say, hey, I'm going down to the stadium today to go cast my vote and maybe even get a chance to walk around, get a free tour. I think there's more that can go on. But the the simple fact of that, there is now initiatives that before, you know, it's kind of funny. You laugh now when you think that. Why haven't we done this before? Right. Why, why hasn't the NBA always said, you know what, Tuesday is a day of voting and not have multiple basketball games going on where people like by the way they love this initiative it's not going anywhere oh it ain't going anywhere i I I sat through a presentation during the broadcast meetings and i (laughs) thought that representative from nba social uh responsibility office was going to come out of her skin oh wow i mean just so fired up to be able to create another tent pole Mm -hmm. that their brother it's opening night election day mlk all-star I mean, like they're making it one of those things, which is pretty, pretty amazing to think, you know, boom, we're doing this. We're doing it. It's real. Yeah. Changing the the the, the timeline. Uh, kudos to uh, the WNBA who partnered with Rock mm-hmm. the Vote, the NHL and Headcount ran a uh, good to vote partnership to encourage hockey fans to stay up to date on their voter registration. Uh, Major League Baseball, longstanding partnership with Civics Alliance and been working with that organization since 2020 uh, to encourage fans to vote the national women's soccer league. It, it doesn't, it doesn't stop, man. <laughs> Everybody it doesn't yeah. stop, man. They yeah. were in there and, and with a real focus uh, for the women's soccer league uh, on just making sure people knew about the new restrictions in voter laws in their area. So really having a nuanced, really focused idea of how to get things done. Uh, Major league soccer partnered with power, uh, the polls, and uh, they had a spot on the league website where fans could sign up to become poll workers um, wherever they are in their county, which, by the way, is t- a tip of all caps mm-hmm. to uh, poll workers who tend to take a full day shift, man. Yeah, that's 12, a long day. 13 hours. Yeah, my mom, she uh, she didn't do it this year, but mm-hmm. she loved doing the polls, man. That's her. That was her thing, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, voting today. Yeah. You know, my mom, she's straight. Get your oh, ID yeah. out. Get your ID out in the, in the neighborhood. And, and you see everybody in the neighborhood, too. I know my mm-hmm. mom used to always want to do that because, you know, when you, for us, it was the local church uh, right right around the corner. So it was always from everybody from the neighborhood. And it became a place for you to go. You go vote, but you also say hi to your neighbor. You say hi to your people around you. So, you know, hopefully we bring that back. But then also, too, like you mentioned earlier, having a lot of these stadiums and places where people can go out and, and, and cast their ballot. And and be able to see other folks doing the same thing, not just around your own community. I want to do something crazy mm-hmm. and tap into this apathy and figure out how to cure it. I don't know how much easier we can make it. Right. I mean, you can mail it. Mm-hmm. You can vote early. You don't even have to vote on right. election day anymore. Correct. Think about that. And right. folks still are half-assing. I went, I was talking. I literally called our cat with the Miami Heat, Cedric mm-hmm. Brown, who is the head of uh, basically digital and social. So he okay. runs heat.com, the heat app, and then all the social platforms. And I said, could we vote on an app? He's like, we bank on an app? We do everything on an we, app. We, communicate, <laughs> we pay our bills on an app? <laughs> yep. Pay your mortgage on an app? Yeah. 
As long as we I mean, type in, I am not a bot, right? most secure in your life, you do either on a laptop, a desktop, or a phone. Correct. We could do some two-step verification. I told him to get to work. <laughs> oh, brothers, come on. Come on, he said, now. That's and, I, and he said, but now here's the thing. We are handing that over to the government. Mm. I said, I hand money to the government every two weeks. <laughs> they seem to collect it with that with ease. And then the one time a year we'll review my year, they want more. Right. And get it. And you know how I pay them? Online. Online. You're right. I, I, there's a part of me that feels like I'm placating to the apathy and, and the lack of energy and excitement. But I just want people to be a part of the process. Um, that was the pushback I got from, from my brainiacs was, man, how upset would you be if we add that lane? And it's still terrible turnout. Terrible turnout. just won't tap the app. And then there was a part of me that said, yeah, you know what? You can't get off your ass. Then I'm, I'm not going to make it. You got to get up and do something. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Adam Cuban, professor of uh, journalism at Ball State, a couple years ago, uh, empowered and then challenged his students to write about the cross-section of sports and social justice. So he has to be a guest on Forward Progress. We'll introduce that text and have the good doctor with us next. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. Great to have with us Dr. Adam Cuban from Ball State University. As many know, I am a proud graduate of Bowling <laughs> Green State University. Uh, right. Mrs. Jackson almost, almost went to Muncie, but we <laughs> snatched her back to Bowling Green. So uh, it's great to have you on, Doc. And we're so excited to talk to you about facing social justice in sports. Uh, first of all, I'm going to applaud you. Uh, on not just having your undergraduate students over the last couple of years look into what we talk about every week. We're almost yes, coming up indeed. on 100 shows now. Uh, but but also just keeping it fresh. I, I know that, listen, you get in, some folks get tenured, that syllabus just changes dates, you know, <laughs> and the fact that you took a contemporary thing, which I think is what's great about being a journalism professional, a broadcast professional, is that our canvas changes all the time. And to challenge your students to dive inside what was so topical, obviously, uh, going back to your, your classes in the fall of 2020, and then pushing them to put something together and then putting a forever piece together, all together, we, we tip our cap to you. Uh, I would ask you to give us the origin of why <laughs> right. uh, this topic, but we, we love and embrace the challenge of this topic. And I imagine... Uh, in Muncie and with your students, it's not easy uh, to dive inside uh, sports and, and race and equality because people want an escape when they turn to sports first. Exactly. Well, and first, I got to congratulate you. I, I looked up the show on Apple Podcasts, 108 episodes. So congratulations yes. <laughs> on that front. Um, and yeah, I mean, I <laughs> you joke about the syllabus. Yeah, sometimes the dates don't even change. You know, you see, you look at it, it's like, oh, oops, oops, that clearly was from last year, you know, because the yeah. day was, you know, one off or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, yeah, where this came from um, in summer of 2020, you know, we remember that a lot of us, most of us 
all yeah. of us were on lockdown at the time. And then the protests from the George Floyd murder in Minnesota. And I was in a faculty learning group at that time. And we were having these virtual meetings, conversations um, about current events. But um, it was basically about community engagement. What can we do in our classes to try to tie our classroom setting and our students in them to the community? And as those events unfolded, I was actually brought into that group under a different premise. I was working or supposed to be working on a documentary project with students alongside USA Volleyball and First Point Volleyball Foundation about the rise of HBCU men's volleyball. Mm. Uh, that has since been finished as well. That that finished in May 2022. But at that time, it was delayed because, you know, recruiting efforts were paused. So I needed to find another opportunity, another project, if you will, that I could take with my students as part of this fellowship group. Um, and I started thinking about the Facing Project. And the Facing Project is a national nonprofit. It's been around now for a decade, um, started in Muncie, Indiana, still is in existence here. And just kind of like the name sounds of the title, it's about facing certain subjects. Some are very heavy, like addiction, mm -hmm. cancer, but you know, it's more an exercise in empathy where the people who are facing whatever the project, whatever the subject is about, they are interviewed then by a writer, it doesn't have to be a student necessarily in other projects. It's, you know, professionals, professional journalists, even, even who want to participate. And what they do is they write it in first person narrative. So you have to ask certain questions then of that person and their lived experience. You know, what were, the, what was going through their head? How did they feel when they were told this or when they heard, you know, a cancer diagnosis or when, for example, in our book, we had a, woman from Louisiana Tech, a volleyball player, she and her boyfriend were pulled over by police. You know, what's going through their head in that moment while they're waiting for the officer to approach? You know, that kind of lived experience where someone from a different race or a different zip code or a different background, they may have had a different experience with that. So you're trying to learn through the first person lens of that person, even though you didn't write it yourself and you're not them. And that's the whole nature of it. I, I feel like my publisher and I argued a little bit about whether or not to put social justice in the title because I know people, um, and I'm sure you do too, that right. you know, hear the word social justice. It's kind of taken on a meaning that has a different interpretation for different people. So they hear social justice and they jump to the conclusion that uh, white people bad, basically. Right. And I wanted to do a project that was not that, that was more, hey, everybody's face. I mean, you know, yes, social justice is inclusive of race and race relations. Um, I use that example about police interactions, but there are other stories in there that don't necessarily involve law, law enforcement. And there's stories in there that aren't as necessarily about race or race relations, but about gender equality and poverty and, you know, international stories, you know, about gender equality and um, human rights, international student rights, you know, for athletes and players of collegiate teams who come into the U.S. from other countries with very different experiences. Mm -hmm. It's about listening and learning. That's really the premise of the book. Yeah, that, that was a question that I had for you, because you mentioned not only your students um, and the work that you guys have done and following, as you mentioned, collegiate athletes, professional athletes, media members, coaches. So sort of the what does social justice mean? in the many eyes that you guys have looked at 
Because like you just mentioned, social justice is, for some, they think it's one thing, but you had a chance to look at it from different spectrums. So for you, what's been the consensus of what does social media, I mean, what does social justice mean to you in the group? I think that for us, what became clear is that social justice, at least when tied into sport, it's like a matrix because you have, if you can almost imagine an Excel document, you've got all these different columns and all these different rows. <laughs> and so you've got, you've got sports, like the actual sport itself, football, basketball, tennis, lacrosse, softball, you know, volleyball. Then you have the level of sport. So youth, collegiate, professional, you've got the different roles connected to that sport, athlete, coach, trainer, you know, sports media professional who covers those sports. So what you find is that there's different intersections of social justice that occur in those different capacities. And so what it means is that there's a lot of stories out there, you know, of injustice the way we might think of it, you know, power differentials, marginalization, but sometimes it's just adversity. It just adversity of what it's like, for example, to be a um, physically disabled athlete, Paralympian athlete who, you know, has a hard time getting into a building that they need to get to, to train because there's no wheelchair access ramp. You know, what is that like if you have fully functioning legs, for example, and you've never really had to think about that. You've never really had to consider that. So, you know, we found out that there's a matrix here that exists, you know, um, and then, you know, I mentioned all those different categories you add in zip code, you know, I think different experiences occur in different geographical regions, places. I think too, that, you know, you have different issues that I've, you know, kind of rattled off here, you know, in the past part of this conversation in my recent answer, you know, there are conversations and stories about race, but there's also stories about orientation, gender, you know, um, age, you know, citizenship status. I mean, there's a lot of different areas that intersect mm. these sports, these levels in sport, you know, and where people participate and play these sports. And so our goal the project is ongoing. The book did come out and I'm so glad that, you know, you appear to have liked it, you know, and, and found it contemporary and meaningful, but we're going to, I'm teaching the class again right now, as a matter of fact, fall 2022. And I have a whole new group of students who are exploring right. and producing more stories wow. that hit on those different intersections in that matrix. Uh, Dr. Adam Cuban, professor of journalism at Ball State's College of Communication, Information, and Media. You led me exactly to where I wanted to go in the sense that this can be endless for you mm -hmm. and your students. This can now, in many ways, I, I'm not your agent, but I think I, I can speak that <laughs> this now can be text yeah. uh, in other institutions, right? Can, can it move in that direction? I would love to have that happen. And I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. That's part of the reason I wanted to be, you know, in your podcast. I've, I've got um, visits, guest lectures. I've done one at the University of Cincinnati. I've done one at Augusta University uh, in Georgia. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but uh, in an hour, I'm going to join a virtual call at Middle Tennessee State University to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. so what I found is that the book kind of gives faculty and teachers an and in, if that makes sense, where yeah. it opens the door for those kind of right. conversations. But sometimes perhaps they may not feel comfortable leading or facilitating those kind of discussions because they can get kind of heavy. They can get very emotional. I mean, these are 
you know, sometimes very heavy emotional topics that we're talking about. And sometimes it's nice to have another person, another faculty member there to, you know, help, help facilitate those dialogues and get students talking about the different stories that might exist in that matrix. And so I would love to have teachers, coaches, and um, and athletic directors, administrators adopt it and use it. And hopefully over time, as we get more stories with more iterations of my class, I would love to have a second edition second edition, third edition, to stay current with the times as this continues to evolve. You know, Dr. Cuban, I was looking at a, just at your lecture style, or is it more of a discussion style? And I'm, I'm seeing students obviously write down different, uh, their thoughts, uh, different subjects. And one of them kind of really caught my eye, which was privilege. Uh-huh. You know, what is privilege? How is it defined? And when you have that discussion, how does that um, find its way into social justice and different spectrums of how different people see privilege in different eyes. Well, I, I got to be honest, I usually open the door with a conversation about what they've already heard. I kind of need to know where they're yeah. coming from first. And so uh, not so much you know, right now, it's the, the conversation, I think, in general has improved in classrooms, in my honest opinion. It used to be when I would have this conversation that... Quite honestly, you know, my white men in the back of the class would sit back and cross <laughs> their arms and say, right. this, is, this is a black problem. This is a woman's problem. This is not a me problem. But then they see a white guy up at the front of the classroom who's the instructor talk about this. And suddenly they're a little confused. Why are we having this conversation? And what I found, you know, again, this is a couple of years ago now. I think things have improved. But when I would ask that question, a lot of students would honestly tell me that it would be described and defined as a function of work ethic. Oh, you're white, for example. So you, you know, didn't have to work as hard for what you have. And so right away, if you're a student who's working two jobs and you happen to be white and you're not coming from wealth and influent parents, you're sitting there saying, geez, I just got off my graveyard shift at a hotel at six in the morning trying to pay for school. And you're sitting there telling me, you know, that I, I'm privileged that I didn't have to work hard. Screw Screw, sorry, I don't know if I can say that. No, you can say speak okay. Yeah, you're okay. We're, we're on XM. We're on you XM, also are getting a good, good feel for my lecture style. I'm very, you know, I mean, I, I, do, I do cuss. I do swear. My students, if they hear this, will laugh and nod their head in agreement. But um, what I've found, though, over time is that um, with the, the upcoming generation of college students, they have been having conversations of privilege and all of its nuances. And what I find is that they do understand that there's an aggregate concept there that like in some categories, demographics or psychographic categories, they may have, they may like, if you had to rank it, which sounds not maybe the best way to express it, but they might have more privilege in some capacity, you know, where they either identify or where they exist. And in other areas, you know, they may not, they may have, you know, some struggle, they may have less privilege in those areas And so what happens then is they start to realize that it is kind of complicated. It is kind of complex. But at the end of the day, what can we do with the privilege that we have, the privileges, the advantages that we have to make things better in our community? What can we do to improve, you know, in our church, in our classroom, in our, you know, geographic community where we live, you know, either college or or if we're not talking college students, you know, as full-fledged adults working, you know, what can we do at our place of business? What can we do there to try to make things better for, for others, for others, for us, but then by extension, the people in that community with us. 
Adam Cuban with us here on Forward Progress. He's the editor of Facing Social Justice in Sports. Uh, let's talk about that job. How tough was it and will it be going forward when you're encouraging students uh, who are growing and thinking and uh, emerging in this space uh, with, yeah, I want you to give me a full effort. Uh, here's a reality check in, in life and living it and this career that you may get into that all of it doesn't necessarily make it. Or do you just create a space where we're going to work through what we get and get it to a place where we can utilize a, a full semester's uh, product? Yeah, I, I usually set out with them. Um, I, I think it's so critical when you're having conversations about social justice and privilege and a lot of these potentially loaded terms and concepts. I level with them and I will say like, look, I am not perfect. I, me, like, and I intentionally will not stand in the classroom because I don't want to give that dynamic that I'm like talking down to them. You know, I want them to understand that, look, this is, these are evolving terms and concepts. You know, the adults around you, I mean, first of all, college students are adults and I have to remind them of that sometimes quite honestly but hey we're working through this too we're trying to understand we're trying to evolve you know and that you know sometimes that's rocky sometimes it's messy it's not perfect no one's expecting perfection you know there's going to be mistakes but the point is that look you recognize and acknowledge those mistakes and yeah you you know you do better you, you read more, you, you know, watch some documentaries. We do that in this class too, because sometimes it's just easier to watch than it is to read, you know, kind of change it up a bit. And I want them, you know, I want them to kind of embrace that mess, you know, because I think in a classroom setting, that's the space to do that. Because when they leave and now they're labeled as a professional, you know, the, the society at large, in my opinion, kind of just expects like a light switch for this to flick on. And now all of a sudden you're sensitive to all issues. And if you're not, well, how dare you, you know, you should have known better, you know, well, how are you supposed to learn that and understand those complexities? If you're not allowed the freedom to make mistakes and to have conversations and learn from the people in that community around you. And so, yeah, I do kind of approach it with a very, you know, I'm going to level with you. Let's, you know, let's agree that, look, you know, we may not tie everything up every class session with a nice bow. You know, we may sometimes walk out of class with more questions than where we started. You know, you might come out of a documentary or come out of a scholarly journal article I read and, you know, wow, I had no idea that that was going on or that that's what it's like. That's growth. That's development. That's learning. And that's why I'm in this business. Yeah, I want to stay right there because that's the question I have. You know, you can look at a movie uh, that you watched 10, 15 years ago. You could watch it now and get a totally different uh, thought process of it or totally different meaning for you. Or I would say you go to a theme park and you have a different experience than you probably did the first time. So for you, when you um, go through these different sessions or semesters and classes with different students, what do you learn? What do you get? Like, wow, I never thought about it, that side of it. Oh, you know what? I never heard that argument before. Is there something that you have found while you've gone through this, through the different um, classrooms and settings that you've had? Yeah, and specific to this project, you know, that intersection of social justice and sport in my current 
sport reporting and writing class, you know, that resulted in the book, you know, with these students, we're watching a documentary right now this week. Um, it's an older one. It was produced a while ago called Trophy Kids. And I mean, you can tell by some of the threads, some of the clothes, you know, it was it was a baggier time, you know, compared to some of the attire we wear now. Um, yeah. in the hairstyles are different and stuff like that. But the message, I think, is... Yeah, I'm also a coach. Um, so, I mean, I'm a tennis player. I'm also a tennis coach of a high school team, um, Hamilton Southeastern High School in Fishers, Indiana. And I've done that now for four years, working with high school tennis players um, in a affluent community on the north side of Indianapolis. And as I'm watching this documentary, which I've seen three, four times now at this point, but now seeing it through the lens of a coach, and we start talking about who has privilege, who has more or less privilege. And you start talking, you know, thinking about kids, minors, not right. college students, you know, and how a lot of times they get wedged in between their parents, in between their coaches, in between their friends. I mean, like sports has really just exploded. I mean, I think for some people, their team win or lose that dictates their personal happiness for that week until the next game. And then if you're the player, you know, if like if you lose death threats and, you know, Oh my gosh, how could you do that? A lot of armchair quarterbacking, not necessarily for football, but you know, the metaphor right. applies yeah. to all sports. And I just feel like there's so much pressure on kids on those players that maybe I might've underestimated, you know, before I started coaching and then, having those conversations sometimes with parents who are just very demanding and very overbearing. And if they're like that with me, an adult peer, how are they with their own child? And how are they with their own child when they're not maybe in public? And it does start to beg the question. Yes, we love sports. I do too. You know, we want to win. Who wouldn't? Right. But at what expense sometimes? And so at least right now, at this very moment, that's what's floating around in my head as we watch this documentary in that class. Dr. Cuban, before you get out of here, I know you got to run, but you you piqued my interest when you came in talking about this study of men's volleyball on the campuses of historically black colleges and universities. Just if you can give us a minute on, on some of the findings that you found. Absolutely. Well, so it's a documentary and it is mm -hmm. available on YouTube. I mean, again, we're not trying to hide this. We want people to see it. We want them to sure. know about this. But basically, um, Coach John Spira, he's the head coach at UCLA and the men's volleyball team. He's also the USA Olympic men's volleyball coach. So he's a busy guy. Um, he started coming out of the Rio Olympics in 2016, First Point Volleyball Foundation, another national nonprofit. And what they've been, what they did, it's a fundraising initiative to bring volleyball into more programs, specifically minority programs. And so what we were trying to do is document that first inaugural season of men's volleyball, first time ever played, ever competed at six HBCUs in the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. So the focus of the documentary, it's about 30 minutes long, is Central State in Ohio. And truthfully, that was uh, closest by proximity to Ball State. So that's my parents' alma mater. I love it. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There's yeah. a coincidence. And as it turns out, speaking of coincidence, they won. They won, oh, you know, in their conference in that inaugural season. So that worked out very nicely for us in terms yeah. of production and telling that story. But it what it is, it's designed to make people aware that yes, volleyball, men's volleyball, a sport that historically, 
you know, is for wealthy white players, it's starting to make inroads in HBCUs, in conferences where athletes of color are now getting opportunities to play and with scholarships attached to give them opportunities for education beyond a high school degree. And we wanted to showcase that. We wanted to chronicle that. And that's the main idea behind that documentary. Look at you get the Marauders in, man. That is great. I can't <laughs> wait to tell my mom I'm so proud right now. Uh, we'll, we'll proximity be damned. I'm glad that you, I'm glad you found your way, uh, to, uh, to Wilberforce, Ohio. Hey, thank you so much, doc. We really appreciate it. Dr. Adam Cuban, Ball State University. The, the book is facing social justice in sports, a, a text that he has with his youth. And we're looking forward to volume two. Thanks so much. Thank you much. I appreciate it. Take care. When we come back here on forward progress and update on the Kyrie Irving situation in the NBA, he had to go to the principal's office. We'll dive inside that and so much more because it requires more with Kyrie here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Thanks for rolling with us all the way through Forward Progress. Kyrie Irving was suspended from the Nets for at least five games last week. Yeah. Uh, all connected to this endorsement of the anti-Semitic film on social media and uh, repeatedly refusing to apologize. Um, He had to sit down with the commissioner this week as well. And Commissioner Silver felt like it was a fruitful conversation and that there's a path moving forward. Uh, That path was not made clear publicly, but I don't even Mm -hmm. sure that it needs to be. As long as it's clear the expectations of the association the Nets, and that Kyrie Irving is, understands the expectation is willing to check those boxes. Meantime, <laughs> we've got some voices who believe that uh, some of this stuff, particularly some of the things the Nets have put in place, correct, uh, in order for Irving to be reinstated. Um, by the way, there is, uh, let me count these bullet points, one, two, three, four, yeah. oh, five, yeah. oh, six. Yeah. So yeah. issue a verbal apology and condemn uh, the anti-Semitic film, share the apology on social media. I believe those things have happened. A complete sensitivity trainings, meet with Jewish leaders in the Brooklyn community, meet with uh, the team governor, Joe Tsai, mm-hmm. and make a $500,000 donation to anti-hate causes. Um, the union believes this is a little steep. Yeah. And we'll get to it in a, in a second. Uh, one of our colleagues in the, in the chatosphere <laughs> uh, Shannon Sharp felt a certain way. We'll hear his side. Um, the resistance has created this consequence. The inability to read the room, recognize the moment, is why Kyrie Irving has bullet points on his deal memo Correct. for this suspension. I don't understand any confusion with that. Mm. Advocacy from a players association, I can kind of balance in the idea that's their job even though they've condemned the action correct if they believe the adjudication is too heavy that's their job i get it and i believe urban's an executive by the way with yeah. the union. so yeah there, with the union there, there's yeah. some there's some pressures probably <laughs> there too right uh but other voices from the outside that don't get why we found ourselves here i don't get your your view before we get to mr sharp well i think we got here because of um the the Kyrie Irving's inability to speak of this and come out with 
I think a understanding of his actions. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is just social media too. He's never outwardly said no. anything. This was all because of a, to your point, like you mentioned, it was a link in which he posted that, by the way, um, that's another conversation for another day because this is a documentary that is on Amazon. Mm. And yet uh, Jeff Bezos, who we know is part of Amazon, there there is no backlash for him yeah. and his platform that no. has this sort of anti-Semitic uh I guess foundation of the film, but yet you know, friends of mine who have now watched it, it's, it's uh it's pretty lengthy. They provided me with the cliff notes, mm-hmm. but they have said pretty much that, uh, you know, this has been very lucrative for Amazon. And yet we're here. We are not talking enough about that because people right. are now flocking to the, okay, what wh- what is this? Why, why did he post it? We'll see what's it about. So right. well, Amazon can hide behind choice, yeah, right? Correct. Like they, you don't have gen- to push play. Correct. Right. They're generating dollars, right? We're right. not even talking about that because we're talking about what's what's newsier, what's better. Right. It's Kyrie Irving. It's a professional athlete. It's a voice. It's a it's a it's a guy who, uh, you know, regardless of how you feel about him, who's been open about many other topics, but yeah. this one, he posted, and obviously, he has not, uh, I guess, shown enough remorse or. In, in At the, the very matter. least, he took his time. Took his time, right? And, and not, was but playing it, it the role he plays. Enough. I'm smarter than everybody. Correct. Yeah, it wasn't fast enough, right? right? And you know, obviously, this is something that you've seen, Jax, before in terms of you got to move swift. And I think that Brooklyn Nets were backed into a corner, and they suspended him. I still don't believe he should have been suspended. I think that this is a, a situation in which he needs to come out and explain what what he needs to explain but you know for me he never said anything in 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 a manner which i would say this is his real thoughts i think for but me, that's the point he could have avoided all correct of if he yes, wasn't such a smart ass <laughs> this is i'm right. telling this is what it is it's right it's, i don't think i i don't believe Kyrie irvin is anti-semitic it wouldn't align Same. with any of the other stuff that he advocates or does correct i don't think the nba or the nets believe Kyrie Irving is anti-semitic he made a mistake and then doubled down on it (laughs) not in the sense of yeah i support that but i have the right to i I don't i don't have to say anything to you people gathered in the room and this is where everyone messes up it's not about the people who are questioning you or the people in the room we are gatekeepers to the world right and when you're selling shoes, you got no problem with it. Mm-hmm. But when you have to answer questions about mistakes and you stand up there and act like everybody else is the idiot, you've doubled down and you lost. Yeah. He lost big time. Because people were trying to say, say, is this how you feel? They said, no, this is not how I feel. This You mentioned he was trying to be the smartest guy in the room, which, look, he's a very bright individual. But I think it also goes back to last year as well. Some of it as well, when Kyrie Irving's stance when it came to the vaccination as well, is that I'm not going to do this. I'm willing to do this because I don't have to. And this is, you know, hey, which is fine. It's right. your personal prerogative. this but, league. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> we're think, on this team. Again, a, a lot of it has to go through. Uh, he is a guy who has, you know, walked his own path. Um, I think that you hear 
he's trying to he's looking for information too right right, right. so let's sneak in the thoughts from uh shannon sharp who uh aligns with the folks uh, <laughs> like uh, Jalen Brown and many others who believe that all this was too harsh. It wasn't enough that he apologized. Now they're trying to rob, I believe they're trying to rob the man of his dignity. They're trying to make him grovel to come and get his job back. And I don't agree with that. A man said he was sorry. I was wrong. Yeah, I would have liked to see him. Hey, I shared a link to my page. Uh, it was brought to my attention that I offended a group of people. And for that, I would like to say I'm sincerely sorry. That was not my intention. In the hope of trying to enlighten and educate my people, I was disrespectful. I was disparaging to another group of people. Could have said that, Skip, and maybe it wouldn't have gotten to this point. They gave him this manifesto, Skip, of yeah. what they want him to. I'm like, now come on now, y'all, y'all, y'all go. Like love me. Yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all going to y'all this. It's kind of like you be in a relationship, and 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 the other party say, well, okay, I need you to do this, this. this. I, I said I was sorry, but that's not enough. No, no. Now I need to rob you of something to put you to let you know. Because Skip, right now, what Brooklyn's trying to do, they're trying to put him in front of all the world to see. You see what happens? If you do this, others, this is what could possibly happen to you. I don't agree with that, Skip. I think that's a bit, that, for me, that's a bit much. And I've been, you know, I've been very critical of Kyrie. But I think what Brooklyn is doing now, that's a bit much. I just think it's a real thin line. And then on the other side, a slippery slope of trying to mm. make the distinction between what somebody says verbally. And I know you've allowed for this. Right. I'm not beating you up, partner. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it's, it's a thin line on saying, okay, there's a verbal and then there's a nonverbal post and we should treat those differently. Okay. I mean, we're, we're allowing a lot of wiggle room for some foolishness of what people might pop up because, you know, you know us, man. Right. Pops up some craziness about black folks and we're coming <laughs> off the top rope, right? So when yeah. it's not about us, we have to have the same, I think the same energy. Yeah, and I think for me, I don't want to, look at Kyrie Irving as as an outs as an outlier or we cast off you know cast him off mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the things that I, I saw over the last couple of weeks is that think about how unpopular at the time um, you know Jim Brown may have been uh, sure. Muhammad Ali mm -hmm. right think uh, you know we had Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf on a couple of weeks back what a great what a great yeah. conversation right? you know but you think about a lot of the things that they did at the time Mm -hmm. I mean, people were, you know, they they just casted them away. They just exiled them. Like, we don't, you know, at the time, furious. Mm -hmm. And yet now a lot of these same men are now revered for their courageousness back then, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And we don't know at the time they wanted to, they were canceled. Remember, people wanted to cancel them because of their ideology. Right. But it was. But those people showed up. Correct. I'm going to make that distinction. They showed up. Correct. You get multiple texts. From your boss. Yes. About your actions. And you decide to ignore them. And that boss yeah. happens to be an NBA owner. <laughs> you you're going to be in up. trouble. Yeah, you're in trouble. It's going to be a problem. Yeah. But that's you the reason know, why he got called to the preference. Probably yes. got called to the carpet and answered the call. Right. Right or that's wrong, why. where they yeah. stood and how it was viewed. This guy's different. He's different. He's different. He's different. He's different. And, yeah. And I find myself at times mesmerized by some of the things that Kyrie actually does and says. Um, there's so much philanthropic work that he's done over the years that correct that he doesn't put out doesn't. changing people's lives. Don't remember, forget, he paid the, remember the, money the WNBA? to donate to WNBA salaries. Yeah, <laughs> he does so much, right? And yeah, I think all of that is now being forgotten right now. And oh yeah, but he, he contributed to the forgetting. <laughs> Brother, we got to wrap it up. Well, we'll yeah. keep an eye on this story, of course. Uh, special thanks to. 
Dr. Adam Cuban. What a great just great. educator and approach yes, to uh, current events and elevating young people who are working on the craft. Uh, as always, we appreciate the hard work and impact of our producer, Brunel Brown. For Kirk Morrison, I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress. Forward Progress is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.